Welcome to the Dividend Cafe, financial food for thought. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special Dividend Cafe podcast. This is David Bonson. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group. And on the line with me are three others from our investment committee. Robert Graham is not with us as he's with clients right now, but we're trying to do a special midday Monday podcast to uh, check in with clients on this continued bloodbath in the markets. Uh, So I have Julian and Dea and Brian all on the line, but we are for the very first time recording all at different locations, uh, just basically based on some of the different shutdowns and remote locations and other things going on. So all of us are working. I'm actually in the office here in Newport, but many people, as you know, and are probably dealing with yourselves in your own locales, uh, limited mobility right now. Uh, which, of course, ties into the state of affairs um, that is right now plaguing not only uh, the markets, but of course society at large as we look to uh, some resolution around this coronavirus scare. Um, as we are speaking, uh, the United States is at 4,100 cases of coronavirus tested positive. Um, Italy is at 27,000. Globally, there's been about 170,000, a little more. In the United States, I believe the death count is still somewhere only around 60 or so, and of course they expect that to increase. But the more important thing that I am going to use our time for today, which is actually not anywhere near as important as the human toll and the and the basic um, life and health subject, is the reason you're chiming in right now. There's better sources for the medical update. But as far as the financial market standpoint, we want to give you our most current thinking. What I'll first quickly do is announce, because I think this podcast will be going up on Monday afternoon, some of you listening Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and I do want to make sure that you know we are doing a conference call, a national call, live tomorrow at 10 o'clock Pacific time. That's Tuesday, March 17th, where I intend to do a very deep dive into all things uh, around this uh, episode and our most current thinking about the economy and the stock market and other financial markets. Um, and we'll have a Q&A. People can send in questions to RSVP at thebonsongroup.com. Um, you can just uh, email us if you need the info for the call to RSVP at thebonsongroup.com. We'll send you the call-in number, and you're welcome to email a question if you'd like it addressed on the national call. So to my colleagues who are on, I apologize for the long setup. Uh, I, I think that all of us have various degrees of things in common here. There's very little sleep right now. There's a lot of conversations with clients. There's a lot of portfolio activity. Um, and there's also been a lot of prudence and a lot of, of adjudication as to what we think is our fiduciary duty to care for our clients and the invested capital that we're responsible for in this period. Uh, this is the quickest drawdown that uh, we have seen. Uh, a number of us have lived through markets where the drawdown was much worse than this, but never where it was this quick. And and so although 1987 was in one day, um, you, know, mo, mo, you know, in my personal case, I was uh, beginning high school at that time, so not um, not managing client capital. 
but but at this point, we're in a position where I first want to kind of give a setup as to what we think has happened over the last several days. And uh, I think Julian and Dan, Brian, I'll have some things that are going to be important to chime in on. Let me let me start, Brian, with you. Um, before we, we come back, I, I obviously want to comment a bit on the state of non-equity markets, what's going on out in the total kind of financial system of our country and indeed our globe. But Brian, you've been through these stock market drops before. Why don't you share some words of wisdom about um, what kind of has to happen when equity markets melt down like this? Well, yeah, thanks, David. You know, and it's, uh, I have been through many as you have as well. And, um, and as I've learned every time through each one of those, it, it never uh, has, has gotten a whole lot easier uh, to kind of deal with it. But essentially, you know, we're roughly 30% lower uh, from the high uh, about a month ago. Um, you know, bond markets have have rallied significantly. Treasury rates have have plummeted. Uh, yields are low. You know, the Fed did what they did yesterday and reduced that benchmark rate to zero and along with some bond purchases and all of that. And so that's sort of the, the situation that we find ourselves. But, you know, and while it's scary and, you know, there's obviously the, the human part of it all that David mentioned as well. Um, you know, th this 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 too shall pass. And, and at the end of it, it's sort of up to us uh, as far as what we're going to do in this downturn to, to both protect uh, client capital and, and to pivot where we need to. And then ultimately to take advantage, you know, of the dislocations that will present themselves. We were talking earlier this morning about the high yield municipal bond market uh, being a little dislocated, but but there's there's several different things that we look at. And at the end of the day, it's about quality. It's about uh, uh, proper stewardship of, of client capital along the way and making sure that you know long term goals are, are not impacted too too severely in this thing. And then we we live to fight another day and we get through this. And uh, you know that those those sort of evergreen um, you know themes uh, the way that we look at it uh, don't change. Uh, th this event as a black swan as it is because because it certainly is one. How fast it's come you know this is uh, uh, pretty remarkable really. Um, is a black swan because it was, of course, not foreseeable. And so it's not something that can really be uh, fully insulated against. But uh, we deal with it as it comes and we take advantage of it and we move forward. Well, that's, that's excellent stuff. And, and uh, we're going to be sending out Divin Cafe this afternoon with even more visual reinforcement of the, the very things you're talking about, uh, the history of this stuff and so forth. Well, Dale, let me, let me jump on to something Brian said about um, these particular markets, the dislocation, and when you have these kind of black swans, this level of drop, the right thing to go about doing. We've had 50-something drops since the last real big one, and in all, basically all 50-something, there was an opportunity to buy a dip and really be glad you did really quickly. That doesn't seem to be the case here. There was buying of the dip three weeks ago, and there's been several leg downs more. Uh, this isn't a, uh, a dip. It isn't a correction. We're now in a bear market. Uh, we're going to either have a shallow or a more severe recession. Um, in the short term of this, not the longer term, but tell me right now why um, – why this would be a, uh, a bad time to rush in, either in selling or or heavy buying. So, so apart from the uh, the reasons that you you and Brian talked about, uh, the fear based decision making that happens around times of great market stress, whether it be panic buying or panic selling, 
Panic doing anything uh, as far as uh, your portfolio is concerned. I think we can all agree that, uh, that it doesn't bode well for long-term returns. But to talk a little bit about some of the technical reasons not to uh, not to make very hasty decisions in a time where you know the Dow's opening up down a couple thousand points and then rallying and then you know it's going down uh, and the VIX is at eighty. I mean, periods of extraordinary volatility. Uh, some few reasons to be very very careful when buying and selling and um, and not trying to well not committing to any sort of self inflicted wound. Is that uh, is that you may not be get, getting the right price for your investments, and you may not have a, a full understanding of what that fair market value price may be, and it might be the right idea to wait for a more normalized environment. So, I, I mean, uh, what happens generally in markets like this when there's uh, when there's a lot of fear and uh, a lot of sell-offs is that you bid ask spreads typically widen out for all risk assets, and uh, you know market makers and dealers try to protect themselves and. Uh, you're selling something there may not be many bids out there and you may be having to take a significant haircut in your investment and obviously that's something you want to avoid because it's self-inflicted wound uh if you just wait maybe a day or two for a normalized environment you may see a total repricing of that investment and we saw that with uh, especially a lot of the etfs that we own even on the, the etfs that are uh, essentially money good uh, that trade, you know, very, you know, very, very high quality, very, very short-term paper. Many times it's coming due in seven, seven days almost, or a couple of weeks. I mean, this everything in the portfolio is maturing a par, uh, but this is trading down a percent or two, and it doesn't make any sense from a technical standpoint. So it's best to just wait things out in a normalized environment, not make any hasty decisions. And I did mention ETFs, and this is especially true on the ETF side, where you can have a disconnect where the uh, ETF is trading relative to the fair market value of the underlying basket that that uh, ETF price is pegged to. And you can get discounts in the range of 15 to 20% uh, for, for some ETFs. So it's a, I, I would be especially careful uh, for the ETFs uh, because of the discount, the discount to NAV. But also, uh, you know, uh, you have to be very, very careful with bid ask spreads and what you're getting. Just wait it out. Uh, if you if you don't have a, a proper plan in order to what to buy and sell and what price what 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 you think fair market value is, it, I, I I behoove everybody to just wait things out for a more normalized environment to start transacting in your portfolio. So uh, all that being said, is uh, we we as an investment committee uh, have to be very very clear on our path going forward for this type of environment before we start buying and selling. So that that's uh, that's my thought or our thought of uh, the technicals at the moment. Well, well, you're exactly right. There's a lot of wisdom in that, and I think it's helpful for clients to get an idea of kind of the trading realities that exist in these sort of meltdown markets. So, so Julian, I want you to comment in a second on um, the opportunities when we do feel the markets have normalized and, and what that, those kind of shopping lists might look like. Obviously, people right now are very afraid to jump back in when there's still the uncertainty as to how deep the healthcare pandemic will go. Um, but let me first kind of make a comment on the part of this that is not a stock market story, where I think that's the focus so many have, and that is the just sort of breakdown in credit markets and fixed income, and even in the cash banking, you know, the ability for cash to be in the system to that good quality assets can be replaced for cash. What you saw Thursday, Friday, 
um, was what will happen in these moments of really severe distress, and and that is that there are a whole lot of people that need to sell something. And they're over-levered. We have a leveraged financial system, hedge funds, global macro, risk parity. Um, you know, there's always people that have money invested in assets when they need cash for spending. Um, and therefore, at those moments that they have to go replace an asset with cash, they're selling into a distressed market. And it could be a very high-quality asset like a treasury bond, which is awfully rare, but even a municipal bond, a high-quality corporate bond, the effort to go sell those things piles on and you get a flood of selling where there's an inadequate amount of buyers and therefore prices get mismatched and a bond that may be really ought to be selling, especially with interest rates so low at 105, gets sold at 100. Um, and uh, yeah, there's what's called a wide spread between the bid and the ask to get transactions done. And those are reflective of unnatural and distorted markets. Um, but the story has always been there, and it's just as there now as ever because we have more leverage in our financial system. And and so the stress that you saw on Thursday and and I think here again today as markets are selling off has a lot to do with non-equity financial assets creating an overall distress in the system. These things, of course, are technical and temporal, and they, they work themselves out, and it's one of the huge priorities of the Fed to inject enough cash into the system that you can clear collateral for cash at a healthy and functional price in the market. But the question then, Julian, that I'm turning to you for is, when you get normalcy, when you get more functional markets, um, for people entering equities at these levels, aside from the fact they're buying stocks cheaper, which is in and of itself, I guess, you know, an obvious thing, what does it look like to you for yields? How much have yields from, from dividend yields from stocks uh, gone up as a result of this movement and, and for people that were going to come in and, and buy new, with new money? But yeah, you know that movement moved out uh, dramatically, obviously, uh, David. And I remember looking at our core dividend, uh, you know, portfolio a few weeks ago at the around the end of the year, and we already had, we had a yield of about four percent dividend yield when the S and P was below two percent. And as I look at it today, we're more around, you know, in the six. So that's been a dramatic, you know, fifty, you know, fifty percent move. You could almost argue in the, in yields, and then. And then I guess, uh, you know, looking at is, uh, historically, uh, you know, just wanted to share some uh, and, uh, about uh, being invested in equities and what it means when you're in, uh, in the bear market. Uh, you know, if you look at that, uh, being in the S&P 500 for the last 25 years, so since January 95, your compound growth rate, annual growth rate would be about 7% if you were fully invested and you stayed invested for the last 25 years. If you if you miss the uh, best ten days, you would go from seven point three to four point two. If you missed, you know, the best thirty days, you would be flat. So this is telling you, um, you know, if you're in there for the long long run, very careful uh, not to you know miss these days. So you don't. It's not the time to to get out. And another statistic of data that I wanted to share is, is about the 
the average decline in uh, in the bear market because finally now it's official we've entered the bear market. And uh, the bear market average decline for the again the S and P 500 using that as a benchmark has been 38 percent. Um, and we're about, you know, 30%, 20 and you could say. So we're about 10% away from the average. So, of course, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be less or, or more. Uh, and also the other thing is not just the number, it's the duration. And that's why we're saying we have to be patient is, uh, you know, the average duration has been 20 months. Um, it's, it used, it's been less the last few um, uh, uh, bear markets we've had, but if you look at the 2008 bear market, it was 17 months. If you look at the 2001, it was 30 months. And only you have to go back to 87 or 90 to have a three-month bear market. So that gives you an idea of what we're facing. Yeah, well, so in, ter- in terms of the overall um, realities of the bear market, Brian, do you agree with the notion that there's sort of two steps ahead of us here. Number one, getting out of the kind of insanity of the present panic level, the high volatility, the high dislocation, the high leverage selling, the forced selling, the just kind of emotional distress of where we are right now. And then a phase two of maybe in three months, six months, evaluating economic health and and macro fundamentals. Yeah, I, I definitely do. You know, and we're we're certainly in that former position at this point. Unfortunately, dealing with where markets are trading, but at some point, um, in you know whether there's a, a fiscal side to this and, and there's some action there that comes comes to fruition, you know, or, or whatever, or or things just kind of getting you know over oversold to to a greater degree. But at some point, you know, it will come back to fundamentals. And, and technically, one of the reasons the market I think is. Um, is doing what it's doing now is because there's just not a lot of, of real economic data for us to seek our teeth into right now. We do know that people are not going to bars and you know not holding events and weddings and and company events and all those things. And, and those things are obviously contractionary and, and the economy will slow. But to the degree uh, of which we you know it's an unknown in some degrees, and and that's why markets are uneasy. That you know market would prefer to know something almost even if the number was poor rather than to just be left in the dark. And so there's there's you know, this thing is, is happened very fast and it's sort of continuing to unfold. And so right now we're kind of pricing in, um, you know, something that's very bad and, and whether that comes to fruition or not, we'll have to see. But I suspect, you know, whether those numbers are good or bad, just having some more data here over the next couple of months will be helpful. And then ultimately, you know, as, as we start to look at where companies are trading, to your point on dividend yields being so attractive and great businesses that have slowed down because of the virus, but not necessarily because of an organic demand decline, um, you know, we, we can have have some have some recovery at a later point uh, when those fundamentals sort of kick in. Absolutely. Well, um, in in terms, guys, of the the present state of affairs, does anyone have any comments on the risk reward? Of, of buying equities, um, you know, a bottom we can't say is in. Uh, we believe we're much closer to bottom than a top. Um, Dea commented on the wisdom yeah. of, of not jumping in right now, but risk reward history. Um, where where is this going to go for equity investors that ride this out three six months longer? I could jump in. I, as far as the risk reward goes, I do. Uh, for a few reasons, I think that uh, the risk reward skew is positive. I think that there uh, is a lot more upside than downside. 
Uh, primarily for, uh, you know, some of the reasons, like, like Brian said, this isn't really uh, this downturn in economic, economic activity isn't as a result of some organic decrease in demand. It's, it's precipitated exactly by this coronavirus situation that we think is a transitory event. Obviously, it's uh, impacted global profits, but there is a path to progress going forward. I mean, we've seen progress in uh, Korea and China. I mean, uh, a lot of the measures that they have taken have worked. Uh, there's been a plateauing of cases, and we know what we have to do. Uh, obviously, uh, a vaccine isn't something that um, that is on the table. I mean, obviously, that has to go through trials and if there was a vaccine, it'd be about a year and a half uh, before before it was usable. So uh, it's most likely not going to be that. But mainly the the uh, the tested method of uh, you know societal scale and and distancing and quarantining, although it is painful, it, it does help markets understand that there is a plan and reduce that uncertainty. So I think that uh, the more that that uh, that society can do as far as the quarantining goes. And the more we can kind of uh, take from the playbook some of these other countries where uh, they've been able to combat this thing with some success, I think we'll give that market that uh, at least alleviate some of that uncertainty and allow some of that maybe pent up demand to come back uh, when we do start seeing a reduction in cases. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Julian, let me, let me ask you this. Um, down 2,000 points today, uh, down 2,000 points on Thursday, up 2,000 on Friday. Um, is this the new normal? Um, uh, you know, do you get to a point where uh, the, the heavy volume and also the heavy swings um, will go away? Um, what, what do you think people need to count on? You know, my view is that it's one of the reasons why it's almost counterproductive for regular investors who do not need access to their portfolio other than dividend cash flow, that it's counterproductive to be looking at the day-by-day -day price swings because they're so dramatic and so overstated. But, um, it, you know, to the extent some people can't help it or, or want to, are these swings going to be here for a while? What's your, what's your expectation there, Julian? That, uh, I think that we, uh, you know, this is not gonna, this extreme volatility and uh, is not going to last forever. I think we are probably, you know, uh, a few weeks away from things uh, normalizing, and I guess the liquidity that's being put by the Fed is going to help that. And I think in the short term, it's really driven by liquidity. You know, you have like hedge funds like uh, Citadel and other names that. I know exactly what they're going through because I was there in 2008 and when they have 10 times leverage and they need to raise cash because, you know, the marks go all different direction and they're losing so much money. They have to sell whatever they can. They go where there's liquidity and uh, sometimes that means going into the equity market, even though, you know, they don't think it makes any sense to sell. They have to raise the cash and they go where they, they find the liquidity. But that's, I think this is what's happening at the moment more than anything else. And that's what's going to create a, an amazing opportunity if you're you know, a long-term investor, because we don't even know yet if you're going to have a recession. I mean, Q1 is probably going to be flat because this happened around, you know, the economy is really being hit around the, you know, mid-March. So you just have two weeks, probably three weeks in Q1, where you could say that the economy, U.S. economy is going to get hurt. So to have a recession... You need two quarters of negative growth. I think it's fair to assume Q2 is going to be bad. 
I think Goldman's likely saying could be minus 5%. But Q3, it's not clear yet. I guess by trying to flatten the curve on the on the uh, epidemic, what we are doing is that we are deepening the economic impact. So that's the price to pay to save lives. Uh, but, you know, if you have to keep an eye on these numbers in Europe and see how quickly they turn the, they turn the, uh, the you know, the curve, and that gives us an idea of how quickly we're going to get get out of that. But then, you know, the like uh, bottom-up investor in me, think if you think about the long-term intrinsic value of these businesses, I don't think they've been really hurt. I mean, even the airlines, you know, we don't own airlines, but even the airlines, I mean, people will fly again eventually. So it's about survival. And then when, you know, we pass the survival uh, point in the next few weeks, it'll be back to more like the fundamental values of these businesses. Well, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's a great point. Now, you're right. We don't own airlines. Um, but even in that space, it, it is not something, you know, you can make an argument, and I'm not sure I would, but you could make an argument that there may be a very long-term impact to the cruise line industry. Um, you know, there, there, there's something rather unnerving about some of the visuals of what, you know, had taken place from some of those quarantines and situations. There's, the 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 casino industry um i think is is highly cyclical and 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 highly feast famine oriented airlines are um highly cyclical but also um highly mandatory and i'm and i suspect that that would be an example of something that would end up coming back um but again they have a risk reward characteristic embedded in them that is not really attractive to those of us who want stability in the dividend, and that's why we've largely avoided the sector over the years. But I think you make a good point that even in that space, you could see a Q3 GDP spike. Um, the, the events being canceled right now are almost entirely being postponed and rescheduled. There are some things that will not come back, and we know that. March Madness, the college basketball tournament, that, that's gone, and that's a tragedy economically, you know, in a lot of categories, actually, it's a tragedy. But um, I think that a lot of the corporate events, travel, vacations, things that are going to just suck the wind out of Q2 GDP have a chance to either really uh, come out as pent-up resurfaced demand in Q3 or, or Q4. So that, that's something that is important to us, for us to keep our eye on. Um, we all got to get back to work. We have an awful lot of clients to talk to and, and, and portfolios to be addressing. So I'm going to ask uh, uh, Brian, Dea, Julian, um, in that order, give us a closing comment, and, and then I'll close us out. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I pr appreciate everybody listening. My closing comment would be for those that are listening uh, that do have other questions or want to talk about this, a little bit more in detail, please do give us a call. We do want to hear from you um, very much. The other thing I would say is just, you know, if you look at, for example, the, uh, you know, the 50 best days in the S&P 500 over the past 20 or so years, most of those big daily moves happened actually in bear markets when things were really tough. And my point to saying that is that it's times like this where you sort of have, you know, you're, you know, metal tested, and, and you know, and when markets are down like this, like they are today, but, you know, there's also these big kind of upswings in it, too. And so it really, with the dislocations that Dea mentioned, it really, really doesn't make a lot of sense to try to get overly involved in trading in and out of this market for those reasons. And, and so I would say reach out. And, and those are some perspectives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and as far as, uh, you know, I, there, I know there's been quite a sell off 
know that uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of clients and a lot of listeners might be seeing this as, as a buying opportunity, and we believe it is. I do think that uh, the sell-off in some industries and some sub-industries has been discriminatory in a rational sense, and I would I would be careful to uh, maybe to pick certain companies without really understanding what their balance sheet looks like. Uh, if they're going to be able to remain solvent through a couple quarters of, you know, you know, of essentially for some companies looking like, you know, very, very, very little revenue. And I'll give the cru- cruise lines, uh, 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 you know, we'll talk about them for a second. I had a friend who wanted to said, oh, my God, they declined. Uh, they're down 20 percent, 30 percent a week. You know, is this a buying opportunity? Can't you just close your eyes and buy this? And looking at their balance sheet, it, you know, it's like it's pretty clear that maybe some of them might have to cut their dividend. Uh, you know, and who knows if they're going to be able to have enough working capital on hand. And so it's in some senses, the sell-off might be rational for certain companies. So I'd be very careful and uh, really understand that you're invested in quality companies. Uh, like uh, Julian mentioned, where the intrinsic value is still there, where they're going to be able to remain solvent through any tough times and uh, be able to be able to get back, uh, be able to get back or be able to revalue. So so I, I would uh, I would uh, make sure to do your homework, invest in quality companies, and be in it for the long haul. So. Okay. I, I would say that um, I feel like you know these um, we don't even know yet if we're gonna have a recession. I mean the market is as I think everybody's saying you know at least the buy probability is two third chance. It's early a bit early to say, but uh, usually recessions come from imbalances in some sector. So we had the housing sector in 2008. You have the tech sector in 2000. We don't really have imbalances uh, this time around. So it's really just a black swan. And and then I think basically the answer really depends. Uh, I would guess on how you know flattening the curve. What it means in the, you know how long we're going to live like that and how like, how much is going to impact the economy. And the second thing is we haven't talked about is the fiscal bazooka. Are we going to get a one trillion? You know, uh, uh, basically help from Washington in in various uh, budget uh, stimulus to uh, to weather the you know that storm. So I think we've had the monetary bazooka that was Sunday. Now we need the fiscal bazooka, and you know the U.S. GDP is 22 billion, so that's about five six billion a quarter. So if you think about one, uh, sorry, it's 22 trillion. So if you think about uh, one trillion, that's you know five percent of of GDP. So that's we are talking about big numbers. And, and that could really make a difference. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm going to really, from a top-down point of view, that's key. And then, and then you know, uh, as we look at the companies we own and the companies we want to own, just being very selective on the quality of the businesses, uh, interesting value of these businesses, and the quality of the balance sheet. And uh, that, that's the, the one that will survive, basically. Um, let me make a, a couple closing comments, and a lot of the stuff I'm going to be saying again on the conference call tomorrow, but there's going to be a whole lot of things on the conference call tomorrow addressed that we're not getting here in the podcast today in the interest of time. Um, I do want to unpack more for people what the good, bad, and ugly was of the Fed's bazooka stimulus. Julian's right. It was a bazooka. We did not expect it to be, go into mortgage-backed securities. We did not expect that they would, uh, you know, last week they announced providing liquidity in the repo market, which is bond buying and it is cash injection, but a long-term and heavy intervention in the um, 
reserves of banks with the Fed's balance sheet, where they intend to keep these bonds on their balance sheet, $500 billion of treasury bonds, $200 billion of mortgage-backed securities. This is financial crisis QE1 level intervention. It was a big deal. Uh, people can say, well, it didn't help the stock market today, and, and that's true. We're down 2,000 points. Maybe we would have been down 4,000 without it, though. You don't really know. What I do know is credit markets have tightened up to some degree and improved, and the QE was not intended to help the next day in the market. It was intended to help the next month and three months to allow uh, there to be liquidity in, in the system and market clearing transactions to take place. Uh, and then ultimately, what's very different is that they were not using QE here to manipulate the long end of the curve down and keep borrowing costs low. Borrowing costs are plenty low. It, it was entirely a liquidity-driven issue and a vote of confidence, a kind of Mario Draghi in Europe, you know, seven, eight years ago, we will do whatever it takes. And so that that Fed put has been reiterated. It's not evident in the stock market today. I understand that. But there are a lot of things behind the scenes that were a bigger concern than the stock market. And, and I have a feeling you're going to see some of that trickle into risk assets in the days and weeks ahead. But to the degree that I'm going to close you out with anything practical to kind of take home, because we're going to wait to get more info on fiscal stimulus. We obviously, day by day, want to get more info on the flattening of the curve that they're going for regarding the diagnoses of COVID-19. But if there's anything that is kind of practical and material that I can leave you with, it is that even though the prices of some really wonderfully run companies and great brands and great operating enterprises in the American economy have been hit hard um, through this stock market uh, swoon in the last several weeks. Uh, when you see some of the companies that then run into a pinch in their income statement, they then come out and announce what? That they need to suspend stock buybacks not that they need to cut dividends. That's by design in our portfolio. We never have believed that uh, the types of companies we own are incapable of running into distress or trouble. That's just not the way the world works. But we do know that stock buybacks are far easier for companies to uh, uh, walk away from temporarily when their cash position and cash flows require then dividends. And, and we've, I'm not going to say any names on this podcast, uh, uh, but that, that's something I would focus on, that um, the dividends are being maintained. And we honestly understand that that may not feel like great consolation in a period where stocks are dropping 20% in a week and you have two days that are half of Black Monday in the last week. I mean, it's been a roller coaster that I can't even believe. However, um, I really do want to reiterate the fundamental necessity of high-quality businesses, and if that's of any consolation to you, it's not a psychological or emotional um, or, or kind of semantic trick. It is an economically fundamental difference in the way that uh, Bonson Group clients are positioned versus uh, various alternative mechanisms. 
we are operate we are owners of operating businesses and they are paying us cash flow that we are going to expect in perpetuity and in these difficult times uh, we hope that represents some consolation. Thank you to my whole investment committee colleagues that have been on this call. We will uh, look forward to your participation on our conference call tomorrow, RSVP at thebonsongroup.com. Um, if you have the information on the call and you don't have a question, there's no need to send an email. Uh, we'll have uh, infinite capacity. But if you do have a question, send it to that email. And if you need the information sent to you, send it to that email. Thank you for listening to the Dividend Cafe. Thank you for listening to the Dividend Cafe, financial food for thought. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor of the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced here may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinion, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower should not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions for the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.